I want you to just imagine for a moment you're in an accident. You fell. It's a serious accident. And you just barely survived. They take you to the hospital. And they hook you up to a respirator because you're barely breathing. And then they have to hook you up to an IV and another IV and feeding tube because really you're just barely alive. And just suppose you're in that state, just barely there. And then one day you wake up. And you're healed. And you, you're, you're totally, completely normal. And they pull all the tubes out and you jump up out of the bed. Your family is rejoicing. You are rejoicing. Do you know that that example I gave you is just like being born again? Think about it. You see, before we come to Jesus... The Bible says you're dead. You're dead in your sins. Look at, if you would, to Colossians 2.11. I love this verse, 2.13, excuse me. Look at this. See what it said. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sin. That's exactly what he describes. You see, without Christ... Without Jesus, you're just barely existing. You're hooked up to the feeding tubes of this world. And you're believing and receiving all the lies of the enemy. And your thinking is messed up. You don't understand God. You don't understand anybody else. And you're basically just barely existing. And then one day... Christ comes into your life. You give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You finally come to that place of surrender and you give your heart to Him. And then God makes you alive. He unhooks you from the feeding tubes of the world and now you're connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, not through tubes, but by the Holy Spirit living on the inside, causing you to walk in a brand new way and live a resurrected life. And today I want to encourage you. God wants to make you alive. And if you are alive, if this has happened to you, if you're a new person in Christ, you may say, well, you know, I, I, I'm having a hard time changing. And you see, Coming to Jesus means you will change. Everybody understand that? You will change. It's impossible not to change if you truly have given your heart to Jesus. You know, one of the unique differences I've noticed between the Old and New Testament, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Old Testament... Rarely did the characters of the people in the Old Testament, did they really change for the better? They were either good or bad. Now, some of them changed, but the ones that changed all went bad. 
you can think of all the characters that made dramatic changes, but nearly all of them went bad, went away from God. But in the New Testament, it's totally different because person after person in the New Testament, all of the New Testament apostles and many of the new believers, Paul was a great example, but many of the apostles, many of the disciples of Jesus, their lives were dramatically changed for the good. They lived brand new lives. And it only happens through Jesus. You see, I happen to believe that unique difference between Old and New Testament was there purposefully to show you that in Jesus we can change. We can be new people. We can change, radically change. You cannot stay the same. It's just a truth. Now, what we want to do is we want to look at how that resurrected life happens. And one area that we have to understand is the word grace. Say that with me. Grace. Now, I know you've heard that term, grace. But truly to understand all of its implications... Everything he intended us to understand. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at grace. Fully understand, I hope by the time we've finished, we truly understand what grace really means. And the very first thing is the most obvious and probably the most talked about meaning or definition of grace. Then it means God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. But what does that mean? That simply means that the relationship that he wants to give to you is based upon his love for you and not based upon whether you've earned it or not. Everybody understand, you cannot earn God's favor. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus said, In order to come to Him and receive eternal life and be born again and be chained, you have to become like a little child. Now, you all understand little child. What's unique about a child is the child will receive a gift without worrying about if there are strings attached. If you hold a present out to a child, he's not going to say, well, I don't know, what are the uh, obligations that are concerned with this? I'd like to know. No, a little child just says, I want it. Give it to me. Get out of my way. I want to open it up. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. He said this in verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn, that's repent, turn, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that particular verse has lots of implications. Because it's describing grace... But it is also becoming and is one of the greatest tripping points in the Bible. Because many religious people miss relationship with God and in turn miss heaven. Because they cannot humble themselves like a little child. They just can't do it. And you say, well, why can't a good religious person 
humble themselves like a little child because they believe a lie. They believe that their good works gain them favor with God. They have been told in their churches, unfortunately, that if you're a good person, you keep the Ten Commandments, you do this, you do that, you accomplish this, you accomplish that, then God will accept you. And it's a lie. It's not true. There's nothing in the Bible to indicate that. Everything that Jesus taught us was that it was by grace. It means that you cannot earn it. And here's the interesting thing. And you see this in the book of Romans. He goes in great detail with this. But because it's the unmerited favor, because it's a gift from God, the moment you start trying to work for your salvation, you can't have it. (laughs) You disqualify yourself for grace because you think you're going to work for it. What happens if you start working for it? Then it's no longer a gift. Then it's no longer unmerited favor. Now it's wages. Now you work for it, you get something in return. And if you have that attitude, you can't have it. And because of that, religious good people miss heaven. Think about that. One of the great ironies of the Bible that I've always considered is that while sinners who repent can go to heaven, good religious people who refuse God's grace end up in hell. And you say, I don't know if I can handle that. You know, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said this. He said, the publicans, which were tax collectors, And the harlots, or prostitutes, will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you. (laughs) Can you imagine how that made them feel? They must have been indignant. They must have said, you're, uh, you're mistaken. We're the most religious people around. How can you possibly say that? Because a dirty, rotten sinner knows they're a dirty, rotten sinner. So, because of that, they're one step from salvation. All they have to, they they don't need to discuss whether they're sinful. They know they're sinful. That's already a given. So the only thing they need to do is to turn and repent and receive Jesus. It's a simple step. They know they're a sinner. They know they can't save themselves. They know they have no good works of themselves. So all they need to know is the good message of Jesus. And they can receive that and be born into the kingdom of heaven. But a religious person, on the other hand, they've got a couple of steps to go. First big one is acknowledging they're sinners. If you're a good religious person, you tend to think you're not a sinner. And you certainly believe that you can take care of things yourself. So you have to get over those hurdles and then come to the realization that you're a dirty, rotten sinner and that you need salvation. And so many people who are good people, good people, miss heaven because they can't humble themselves like a little child. 
It's amazing. So grace is coming to the point to where you can acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. My good efforts do not merit favor. I humble myself like a child. And I come and I ask Jesus to save me. And you can be saved. It's exciting. I once taught a message called the difference between being a Christian and being religious. And I never will forget after the service was over, I had a a person come to me and they were a little upset with me. And they said, well, I just want you to know I'm a very religious person. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You were talking about me, weren't you? I said, I was not talking to you specifically, but I was just explaining what Jesus said. Well, she said, well, I I disagree with you. I just want you to know that. I said, well, I'm so sorry. I love you. Jesus loves you. But Jesus said it. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through Jesus. That's the only way. So to understand grace, to come to grips with it, you've got to accept that unmerited favor. Look at Romans 10, uh, the first four verses. Kind of interesting because Paul is talking about the Jewish people. Look what he says. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. He wanted them to know, know Jesus. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Interesting. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. The Jews missed Jesus. They missed salvation because they could not handle that their way was wrong. They believed the way was to keep the law, to be a good person, to follow the Ten Commandments, to do all the things that the law of Moses said. They believed that if they did those things, they would be right with God. And they couldn't let go of that. But the Jews didn't just, they're not the only ones that made that mistake. Today, people are still making that mistake. Missing heaven. Because they refused to accept that Jesus is the way to make us right with God. The second, and I believe to me the most important and the most powerful meaning of the word grace, it is God's power working in you. Say that with me. God's power working in you. Now, it is certainly one of the lesser-known definitions of grace, but it really is, to me, the most important definition of grace. 
And over and over in the New Testament, we see this understanding. God's grace is at work in you, working in you. Look, if you would, to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Look what it says. For the grace, here it is, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does this grace do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. If you diagram that, the grace of God is teaching us to deny ungodliness. And to deny worldly lust and that we should live soberly. What is teaching us? The grace of God. So it's not just the unmerited favor of God. God's grace at work in us is His power to change us on the inside. And to me, that is the big difference. God didn't just save you and forgive you. He put His Holy Spirit in you. And when that Holy Spirit is activated, it is the grace of God at work in you, changing you. How many of you would agree you need changing? How many of you are under construction? (laughs) You know what I mean, under construction. You know, some of us are so much under construction, we should wear a big sign over us that says, Caution, God at work, under construction. And I'll put it right over your mouth. That's where you need to, you know, because it's our mouth that gets us into trouble. Caution, God at work, he, He's not finished with me yet. And, and, and sometimes things leak out <laughs> that should not come out. But it is still God's grace that is at work in us. Look, if you would, in Philippians 2, verse 13. I love this passage. Verse 13. For God is working in you. And look what he's doing. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He is changing your desires to be his desires. Did you realize that? That's the grace of God at work in you. Changing your desires to be his desires. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. How that the older we get, things that used to be so important are totally not important anymore. When I first met my wife, when we first got married, I was such a nut over football. You know, and my wife deceived me a little bit. She did. When I first met her, she said, I have box seats to see a Dallas Cowboy football game. And I said, really? Of course, I lived out in Texas, and the Cowboys were all I thought about and and lived and breathed. You know, Roger Staubach, and that was back in the day, and they were America's team, and I loved them. and, And I said, you have box seats? And I thought, this woman is a football nut. She is excited about football like I am. Now, when I got to the game, then I figured out, after just a few minutes, she had no idea what was going on. She didn't even understand the game. And I had to explain the whole thing to her. What are they doing now? Why are they doing that? Why did they tackle him? And I thought, she doesn't know anything about football. 
But you know, today, 40 years later, I might watch a few minutes of football and then skip the rest of it and check the score at the end. Especially if they're losing. <laughs> I want to tell you, it just things are just not as important. And you think about this. Look in your life. Things that you thought were so important at one point in your life. You lived and breathed for those things. They fall by the wayside. You can take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter. And God's kingdom and His purposes and His plan for your life becomes more and more and more the priority of your life. And the things that you used to think were valuable and important, they lose value. What is God doing? He is doing exactly what he said here. And that is, God is working in you, giving you the desire to do that which pleases him. And giving you the power and the ability to accomplish it. And I want to say, thank you, Lord, that you don't just put the desires, you also give us the power to do it. So there's the ability, the power, and the desire. God's grace working in you. Another passage, and there's so many of them in the New Testament that tell us this. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. You have to kind of see the whole thing in its and it's the whole passage to understand how it ties into grace. Look at verse 11. So, we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power. There is enabling and power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you will be honored with Him. Now, here's it is. It ties it in. This is all made possible because of what? Because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God alive, working in me that allows me to have this enabling, to have this power, to change our, our desires, all of these things. In order to do that... God has to change our thinking. God changes and God's grace changes our thinking. Go like this. This your thinking. Come on. Here we go. It won't hurt you, I guarantee you. Lord, change my thinking. Come on now. Some of you are chickening out on me. Come on. Lord, change my thinking. Mm. So important. So important. Your Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. Your core beliefs are what you think. You may say one thing, but you'll do what you think. You'll act what you think. I remember listening to a politician. I think it was Edwards. Um, this guy running for presidential um, it was a couple of years ago. I think it was Jonathan Edwards. And he, and he was caught with some woman. He has had an affair. And he got up in front of everybody. He said, I just want you to know that I have not acted according to my core beliefs. But I made a mistake. And I said, that's a bunch of baloney. You acted exactly according to your core beliefs. 
You thought about it. You considered it. And you did exactly what you thought about. And that is not a part of your core beliefs. But see, we act according to the way we think, what we believe. And God's grace, as as he's working in us, he changes us. He changes us. Look at Romans 12, 2. I think maybe we talked about this last week. Romans 12, 2 says this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So much is changed by our thinking. But we've got to be conformed to his will, but we do it by renewing our mind, our thinking. Now, I just want to say this. Your thinking changes slowly. The thinking changes slowly. So do not expect to just be thinking one way and then all of a sudden you wake up the next day and you think differently. No. It takes time. And if God's grace is going to work in you to change your thinking in about a certain area, then there's, there's some work involved. Let's just take one area, for example. Let's say you struggle with anger. I don't know if this fits anybody in here, but you could substitute fear, lust, whatever battle you're battling. But I'm just going to use anger for a moment. Anger is a problem. You keep tripping up on it. You have a quick temper. It keeps getting you in trouble. You keep saying things you wish you hadn't have said because of the anger in your heart, if that is a problem, then you're going to have to make some steps. You're going to have to take some serious steps to accomplish a changing of thinking. You're going to have to think differently about anger. And the only way to do that is you're going to have to rearrange your thinking. And in order to do that, you're going to have to transform and, and renew your mind when it comes to thinking. And I just want to give you just a couple of hints, suggestions. And I say this, if you're serious, if you're serious about change, first thing I want you to do is I want you to gather all the scriptures you can find about that particular area that you're battling. And let's just take anger. Great passage Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 27, actually covers quite a few areas, but it covers anger. Look, if you would, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, though off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. That's what we're talking about. Give me a new thinking, Lord. Put on the new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Verse 25. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger, there's that problem with anger. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. What that's, what is that saying? That's saying deal with it. 
on a daily basis. Don't say, I'm going to deal with this tomorrow. I'm just going to sleep on it. No, you don't want to sleep on anger. You want to repent of that thing. You want to change that thing. You want to repent of that right now and be done with it. You don't want to go to sleep on that because anger then will begin to fester on the inside. For anger gives a what? A foothold of the devil. Now, I just picked out anger. So many issues. My wife uh, was dealing with a health issue with uh, follicular lymphoma. was the very first thing she did. We have learned. We went through, and she went through the Scripture, found every Scripture she could for healing, every Scripture she could, gathered it all together in one notebook, and then what do you do with it? You begin to meditate on that. You begin to read that. You begin to, I mean, I begin to see post-it notes and little uh, yellow sheets of paper all over the place. Now, you couldn't even look at a mirror without seeing a, uh, uh, go to the refrigerator, which I go to often and everything, everywhere. There, there's these, uh, these scriptures and declarations of healing. God is my healer. You're going to surround yourself. Now, I did say this at the beginning. If you were serious... A lot of people are not serious about change. I figured that out. And if you remember the testimony, Brother Kevin, there was a point in his life where he walked away because he wasn't serious. You've got to be serious about making change in your life. And there's some people in here today, you don't like some things going on in your life. And you don't like some consequences of things going on in your life. But you're not really serious about changing. But if you are serious, you will be diligent. And you will begin to gather scriptures together. You will begin to read those on a daily basis. I mean daily basis. Meditating, thinking about those, reading those things. You'll be serious about being in God's house. You will be serious about worshiping God. You will be serious about prayer. Another thing that changes us, and that is, don't minimize the negative effect of the area you're battling. If you're, you're fighting an area, and again, it could be anger, it could be lust, but one of the things our old flesh will do is it will try to get us to minimize. Oh, that's not so bad. That's not a big problem. That's a little thing. That's not going to hurt me. No. Don't play that game. Don't go there. Say, listen, this is killing me. You've got a foul mouth. You've got to see the area you are battling as something that is destroying your witness for Jesus, and it is serious. Don't downplay it. See it as your enemy. God delivers you from your enemies, but He won't deliver you from your friends. You see that tobacco, that alcohol, that drugs, if you see it as a friend, you will never get delivered. But if you'll see it as an enemy, God will deliver you. Third thing, remember change is slow as we learn to change our thinking. And I only say that, just be patient. 
You may be in the middle of a battle and trying to change your thinking about something, and then all of a sudden you just mess up terribly. Don't give up. To say, okay, I messed up. Lord, forgive me. I repent of that. Get back up. Get back and begin to say, Lord, help me. Help me to learn from that mess up. And I'm going to do better. Your, your Holy Spirit, your grace is at, at work in me. Lord, you're, you're working in me. I know you are. You're changing my desires. And the fourth thing, and that is, you have to sometimes change your friendships. I know this is going to step on your toes sometimes. But if you're serious about change, sometimes you're going to have to change your friends. If your friends are part of your old way of thinking, you're going to have to find some friends that think God's way, that have God as a priority in their life. Because the truth of it is, if you dance with the devil, don't expect change in your life. If all your friends are people who hate God, don't expect a radical change in your life. You've got to be willing to surround yourself with people who love God and who have new thinking. You say, well, I don't want to change my friends. I like my friends. It goes back to what I said. If you're serious about change, if you're serious about change, you will do these things. And the last thing I want to encourage you to do, and that is remember the Scripture is so powerful. It is helpful. And you can personalize the Scriptures for you and then apply that to you. I want us to read Hebrews chapter 13. Read verse 21 and 20, uh, 20 and 21. I want us to read that. This is the way it says it in the New Living. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will, may produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. And that's a great passage. And it's great because Paul is speaking this to his people, to the people he's writing there uh, in Hebrews. But you can take these verses and personalize them. Turn them around, change a few words in there, and it's perfectly fine to do that, especially if you're making a prayer or a declaration. Let's read that in a personalized way. Let's look at that again. And this is a personalized way. Here we go. It's the same thing, but we've just changed a few words. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip me with everything I need for doing His will. May He, God, produce in me through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to Him. I want to tell you, talk about a powerful prayer. You turn that thing around. Now you are declaring this over yourself. May God do everything in me that He needs to do to change me to do the things that are pleasing to Him. Powerful. And if you will declare God's Word in a personal way that applies to you. Now, you could take it as it is and declare it for someone else. That's great. Praying for someone else. But we're talking about God change me. 
A minute ago, I asked you, how many of you would like to change? That you believe God needs to do some things in your heart. I tell you, I don't know of a single person that doesn't need change. And if you think you don't need change, you really do need change. (laughs) You really are in, in a problem. Because the truth of it is, we are all weak. We all mess up. We all fail. And we need that grace of God. It's His unmerited favor. But it is also God working in us. And what does He do? He's changing our thinking. I'm going to ask you to do this with me. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Here we go. And I'd like for you to read out loud with me that personalized part of Hebrews 13. And declare that God would do every good thing in us. And we're going to dismiss after this. And I just want to say this before we dismiss. If you need Jesus. And as I said, we already had one young man give his heart to Jesus. But I just wonder if there's some other people. We dismiss if you need to give your heart to Jesus. If you've never been born again. If you've never had that come alive. And receive Jesus. We're going to stay down here for a moment. And ask you to come. And I want to pray with you to be born again. I want you to take this. This is the personalized part that we had. We're going to put it back up on the screen here. We are going to put it back up on the screen here. Here we go. Sometimes those computer guys up there, they're trying to get that. We had it a minute ago. Can we get it up there? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I knew you'd do it. He does a great job. Good guy. Here we go. We're going to declare this out loud together. Can we do that? Ready? It's not me repeating you. We're going to all read it all at the same time. Here we go. Ready? Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, And ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip me with everything I need for doing his will. May he produce in me through the power of Jesus Christ. Every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever And ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, change our thinking. Change our thinking. Lord, let your grace work in us. Let your grace work in us to change our will. Change our desires. And cause us to think your way, Lord. Help us to change. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.